Welcome to She Will Not Fall, a podcasting community dedicated to women who are daring to reimagine and redefine their faith, their gift, their call, and how they present them to the world. I'm your host, Marielle, and as always, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be in this sacred space with you. We are almost done with season two, and of course, season two, we have been talking about liberation. If you have not listened to all of our conversations, I really encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes that you might have missed uh, and that you catch up. So listen, we have another great episode today with another amazing guest. But before I dive into that, I just want to remind you to follow us on Instagram at She Will Not Fall Collective. If you'd like to be a part of the Patreon community, go to patreon.com backslash I am Mariel T. If you'd like to give a one-time donation, check the show notes for how to do that. Today, I am really excited about my guest, Melissa. I have the absolute pleasure of sitting and talking to her. I've been wanting to talk to her for a while. So I'm super grateful that I got to talk to her for season two. And I just want to tell you a little bit about her before we dive into today's conversation. Melissa is a Mennonite pastor and an author. She lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, and persists with her community to free people from prisons and to build a world that no longer depends on the logic of incarceration. She was educated at Duke University and Princeton Theological Seminary and by the people of La Arc, a community of those with and without intellectual disabilities who share the rhythms of daily life together. She's written two books, How to Have an Enemy and Fire by Night, and more articles than she can count. In her spare time, she keeps a pollinator garden, listens to 90s hip hop, and raises three children, and she hopes will also love bees, Jesus, and Dr. Dre. Listen, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, so I'm not going to delay it any further. Sit back, relax, and let's hear this week why Melissa will not fall. All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of She Will Not Fall. I am really excited today. Of course, y'all know for season two, we've been talking about liberation. And today, my special guest is Melissa. I am really, really, really excited to have her on um, and hear her perspective. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so good to be with you. Thank you. So a good way for us to kind of learn your personality and how you work Um, is with this question. And as I've said with every guest, I know it's a tough question, but yes, I, it just excites me because I get to learn kind of a little bit about who you are by how you answer this question. So if you had to describe yourself as a song title or a book title, what would it be and why? Oh, that is such a good question. A song title or a book title. Um, um, let's see. I, I think I'm going to go with, um, it's going to be a good day. Um, tribe called quest. Um, it's going to be a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I love that. I love that song. It, it feels like it both like acknowledges like the hurt, the reality of pain and struggle in the community, but it's like, like now, like right now, like we can like cultivate this like pretty amazing morning and like live deeply in it. So that's what I think I would choose. Yeah. I like that. I really like that. 
And I really love that song. Too. <laughs> yeah, it's so good, right? I, I play the clean version on the way to school with my kids yes. a lot of the morning. Because <laughs> every time I listen to it, like it, uh, it's just, it makes me feel better. Like, yeah. Especially if I'm down, I'm like, it's going to be a good day. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> children, the children choir in there. I love that song. It's so good. It's so great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So this season, we are talking about liberation. And though I know that there is a communal definition that people can have around liberation for groups of people, and liberation can look different for different groups of people, um, I always like to start with the person first, though. So, you know, what does liberation mean to you personally and how do you define it? That's a great question. Um, yeah, Mary, you probably know that a lot of my work is with people who are victims of the carceral system. And, and so when I hear the word liberation, I think about, um, I think about Rhonda, um, one of our friends from uh, the North Carolina Correctional Institute of Women who was recently liberated from prison, right? And this, um, um, and in being liberated from prison, was also experienced this liberation from the sort of the the social order that led to her being imprisoned. Um, and so, for a lot of the the people we spend time with, um, are sort of both of those things: the recognition that uh, that harms have been done and need repair, but also that they are they are uh, survivors of harm, right? Um, so many of the women we work with are survivors of intimate partner violence, of um, uh, violence um, against them when they were children, um, uh, coping mechanisms from just entrenched generational poverty. Um, and that's like the pipeline into the prison system. And so to watch the sort of liberation happen on two fronts, to meet someone outside of prison um, and to receive them back into community. Um, yeah, that's that's what comes to mind for me when I think about liberation. Yeah, that's amazing. So can you um, walk us through a little bit more about the work that you're doing? Um, because it's really important work. So can you just expound a little bit more about the work that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So our church is a partnership with um, the, the women's prison here, just a couple miles from our church um, through Interfaith Prison Ministry for Women. And um, we we love that ministry. Um, but I often say it's sort of um, it's a way for us to build relationships and introduce people to a system that needs to be destroyed. Right. Um, it doesn't take long from from being a volunteer, from being someone who um, shows up on the inside for women to, to see that this is a system that is made for destruction, um, that breaks people down, that um, is, is about punishment and retribution, has nothing to do with healing or um, addressing the, the harms that have caused the situation to happen. Uh, and so, you know, instead of just thinking of it as sort of direct, service to, to women in, in prison, I think of it as a window into advocacy and to um, making space for the women who are a part of our lives to be heard um, and for us then to advocate for them um, in the ways that they want us to do from our position of power. That's really good because I, and, and honestly, when I thought about liberation, that's a piece that I think that I was missing. Mm. is that system. Um, yeah, and there's yeah. so much liberative work that needs to be done 
to uproot <laughs> that system. And a lot of it is entrenched in racism. A lot of it is entrenched in sexism in a lot of ways. A lot of it. So um, yeah. that was a piece that I missed. And I think this is so brilliant that you're doing this work and that you brought it up. Um, and now that we're talking about the prison system and the ways in which it is oppressive in so many different factors. Um, as you've been in this work, what are some things that you've seen or things that you can give us of how we can really knock down these systems of oppression and systems of power um, and to make, uh, to get rid of <laughs> a lot of the harm that is being done in this space? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, one of the one of the um, important places of growth for me as an abolitionist has been in thinking about um, what grows up in the place of the things that are taken away, and actually how those things can happen simultaneously. Uh, and I really think that's what has continued to keep me in this very hard work. Um, because if you are like. I mean, even, you know, we were, we're talking right now as um, Judge Jackson is facing these hearings. And I think we just hear over and over again, right? Oh, because you considered the humanity of someone who did, who did harm, you're stopped on crime, right? Like, it is very hard to get people to empathize with people who have done harm, right? It's, it's incredibly difficult work. And so what really sustains me is thinking about how um, we're actually trying to create a culture within abolitionist communities um, that itself, it kind of makes me think of like when vines grow on something and like a, like a building and it like crumbles the building. Cause like the vines are so strong, right? Like that we can, um, that we're trying to build this, we're trying to like support this growth through our own ways of doing reconciliation, our own ways of, of community accountability. Like, we can't continue to rely on our on carceral imaginations within our organizing communities if we expect it to happen anywhere else, right? We can't continue to the carceral imagination in our parenting, in our friendships, in our workplaces, if we expect this to be a strong enough vision, right? To provide an alternative. Um, so I think that's one, one thing is like, what does it mean to take harm seriously, accountability seriously, and to provide roads back for um, repair and return. Yeah. Um, and then like the other the other side of this, like what do we, at the same time, how do we take things down? I, I'll just say the carceral system is, is very vulnerable right now after COVID. Um, so our prison system, um, nobody wants to work there, right? There's this massive shortage of, of people who wanna work in the prisons. Um, there is, we already know from some of these programs that did early release that the crime rates didn't shoot up because of reoffense, right? Like those people went back to their communities and they were supported and cared for, right? And so I really do think that if people are interested in this work, now is really the time to say, let's have a different conversation um, before we just go back to the way things used to be. What is it we really want? What we really want is for everyone to be safe, right? We like safety is important. We really want to have a community that's safe. So how do we do that without relying on what is clearly not working, which is punishment and retribution and isolation? Yeah, that's really good. Um, 
I'm going to sit with that because I do think it is important to reimagine something new. Right. And I think that's a big part of, like you're saying, uprooting these systems is Mm -hmm. that there is a new way. And that once we figure out that big question, what is it that we want? That we can paint what we want and then we work towards what we want. Right. Um, I love that. Um, I want to ask this question because I do understand that um, this work probably can be very tiring. Maybe sometimes it can be um, draining in the sense of you want certain results and you're not able to get that. Um, Or sometimes you're just tired of just having to keep fighting and, you know, like all of that. So as a person who is doing abolitionist work and liberative work, what are some ways that you take care of yourself, like in the midst of all of that? Yeah, there's also just mentioned I have three children. (laughs) 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 On top of everything else. Um, Yeah, well, you know, one of the places that really does sustain me is the community that works on on this with me that you know you're you're not doing this alone because it is communal work that you return to people who are also trying to develop sort of different habits about the the way life works about the way community works um and there's a lot of joy in that right it's um it's this very hard work and then you celebrate when there's a win like when somebody gets out or you pay bail for somebody like Um, I think you really have to live deeply into celebration in the moment Um, because actually abolition is just like, it's actually like picking up pieces of things along the way, right? It's um, we, it's, it doesn't look necessarily like this big building, right? Again, like that image of vines, like we're just growing something um, and it's going to look really different. Um, And so I, I really do, I guess, back to that original question, like it's going to be the day, like, we're just going to live deeply into the celebration of this moment um, and find people who also just are will are ready to deeply celebrate um, these upper, like when life manages to find its way in these really terrible, horrific places, because it does, that's, it's like a miracle. Um, somehow things continue to grow even in prison. Yeah, that's really good. Um, a previous guest, Sharifa, actually, she um, she says something and it's been like a consistent theme, I think, through this season, which is that liberation is a group project. And I yeah. really loved that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So many different ways. Like we need each other in order to get the work done. But I think we also need each other in order to um, to rest and to yeah. take a moment to pause. Like you yeah. need community to really help you with that. Um, even if it's them taking on some of the burden so you can take a break, right? Or That's right, yeah. You know? And so community is super, super, super duper important. Um, I don't think isolation works with liberation. No. I don't, I don't think it can no. work. Even though some people think that it can. And I'm like, no, I don't really think that that's how Yeah, that you hit a roadblock on that real fast. Um, <laughs> Like you'll yeah, wear yourself that, out. <laughs> that's right. The other thing that makes me think of is, you know, I, I remember one of the, like the, one of the really important phrases for me from the Black Lives Matter movement was that it's a leaderful movement, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of, um, which always felt like, 
you know, you had like a Martin Luther King or a Malcolm X and it's like, and look what happened to those men's lives, right? Um, and instead you have this group of people who say, we don't actually need to be upfront. Like this isn't about, um, it's not just about representation. It's about who, who can we always be finding to put up front? Who can, who can we invite in? Who can we call back into this movement? Um, and then it really, and again, that is the world we want, right? We don't yes. want a world of hierarchy with one person who's charismatic on top. Like, um, so even the way that movements are thinking about shared leadership and shared um, responsibility, being able to say, I need to step out right now. Like you've already, you've got like 25 leaders right there. You've yes. all done this work together, right? Um, yes. So absolutely, totally a great project. <laughs> and that's where the power comes. Like I feel right. like that's where the power comes is yeah. that it is a communal effort. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I love that. So as you look to the future for yourself, what are ways that you're hoping to liberate others and especially women? What, what do you see on the horizon? Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I, something I know that is true for myself, for others, is that abolition is a liberation project for all of us, right? We are all, some people are in cages that are physical, and some of us are in the cages of carceral imaginations about um, what is possible, what's not possible. Um, and so, abolition is a, is a liberation movement for all people. Um, and, and I think that that's especially true for women, um, because we work in particular with the women's, with the women's prison, um, watching to see how shifting the balances of power, shifting to communal leaderful movements, um, actually calls women into the places where they have, um, they have felt uh, pushed out or pushed away um, and say, actually, you get to be, we're going to help you shape the world you want, right? Like we're all in this together. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to continue to, to build and be a part of this community here locally, um, here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, but also I'm excited to like, try some new projects here. Like we're, interested in universal basic income for people who are formerly incarcerated and going to be trying to like think about that project in the future. Um, yeah. How can we do some like better reentry supports so that people like who are coming out of prison ha have a world that's ready. Like that's right. part of abolition too, is right. Here's the path back to this community. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things I'm excited about that are coming up this year. I love it. I love it. So, and I especially love the reconciliation part because I have seen several people in my community who have come out of prison and no resources, no, no help. And it's like, no, we should have something in place that is a good transition to help people have a life, like right. <laughs> to be able to live. Like, yeah. um, and that has been the missing piece and the missing yeah. link. And I, and I, I have especially seen that with men. So I know it's probably 20 times worse oh, for sure. probably women. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for the work that you're doing because it's, mm -hmm. yeah. it's so important. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share um, as we kind of round the turn um, just around this topic or even just the work that you're doing? Um, 
Yeah, I I would just say that they're um I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in working with people who are incarcerated with, with prisoners that um, there are just so many incredible stories to lift up in ways to center the advocacy of people who are on the inside. Um, and so, you know, looking for, I feel like that's such a good way into this work um, it, is to start thinking about ways that those that we can center those stories first um, and really call them out. Um, because one of the one of I think the things that we hear that is the hardest about being in prison is um, that is the isolation, not just a physical isolation, but like from disconnection from the world. It's like, does anybody care? And we heard that so much during COVID, right? COVID is like just going like wildfire through prisons and people on the inside are like, does anybody even care um, how vulnerable we are right now? Um, and, and so that's why we really do need these relationships to be established, what relationships that are not, you know, savior complex, but um, really are centered on, on the stories of, of people who are, are victims of criminalization. I love that. And thank you for bringing that up because the two populations that I thought about the most during COVID were homeless and those who were in jail. Yeah. Um, and I think somebody had ran a story that they were begging, like literally like begging for help because, and nobody. Yeah. It's like, yeah. just because you're behind bars doesn't mean that your life is not worthy and valuable. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I really appreciate you for just taking time out of your schedule for us to have a conversation centered around liberation, <clears throat> centered around the work that you're doing. How can people follow you? How can people support you? Um, all of those things. Yeah, I'm on all the socials, pretty easy to find just by looking up my uh, my name. And um, yeah, that new a newish, I guess, book that came out this year, um, How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger in the Work of Peace, which starts off with, with you know, why, why um, having a conversation about enemies helps us to, can be understood through the way um, uh, police interactions happen in our community. So um, might be, it's, I think it's a one, one of many great ways to sort of enter into the abolition conversation and hear what folks are up to. I love it. I'm going to have everything in the show notes so everybody can find you, awesome. get the book and all of those things. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for having this conversation. And again, thank you for the work that you're doing. Because it is. So oh, thanks so much. It was great to be here.